Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Let's read verse 16 together as a congregation. Ready? And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. I want to talk to you about Armageddon a little bit tonight. Um, and so you, be, you want to be seated. That'll be great. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're just going to, listen, just going to throw some things out there tonight, teach you some things. And some of these things you've probably heard, maybe some of these things you haven't. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of these things are pretty interesting. And, and, uh, and so I think this is going to be, uh, I think it's going to be help to you tonight. So let's go to the Lord and we'll jump into this Bible study tonight. Father, thank you for allowing us to be together today as a family, the family of God. And Lord, it's been a good day today. It's been a good day. We have, we do have a lot of our, our church family is under the weather today. And uh, some, are, some are gone traveling. And so uh, we always, uh, you know, uh, that's always a, a little bit of a down time when we see folks away from us. But I also know that some of those same folks are watching live stream tonight. And so we're thankful that we have that ministry and I pray that you'll use it. We've already, already today, we've got great reports from the live stream. And so we're thankful for that. So Lord, use it again tonight. And I pray that you'll knit our hearts together as we learn from God's word. Lord, I'll not as much preach tonight as I'm just gonna teach and give some things about the battle of Armageddon. So I pray it'll be a help. And God, I pray that you'll help us to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Fill us with the spirit of God. And use this time together, please, Father. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray for his sake. Amen. Armageddon. Armageddon. Well, you know what? I can, I can say that word, and there may be some here tonight that don't know a whole lot about that word, but you heard it. You've heard that word. Armageddon is definitely not a foreign word. Uh, it's definitely not foreign in this church, but I'm going to be honest with you. Armageddon's not foreign to the world as far as the word. Now, they know very little about the event, but they know about the word. The world has begun to capitalize on Armageddon and even, if I could put it this way, even cash in uh, on the word Armageddon. It seems that any event that's associated with disaster or catastrophe is labeled as Armageddon. You'll be watching a newscast and there'll be a hurricane that rolls in or a tsunami or an earthquake or something like that. And they'll interview people and they'll, they'll say something like this. Man, it was like Armageddon. It was like Armageddon. Now, truth of the matter is, they don't have a clue uh, really what Armageddon's gonna be like, but they'll use that word. They use that word sort of loosely. Uh, and now we notice that Hollywood has even got in, uh, in on this and they're beginning to name some of their programs and some of their movies. Uh, they're be beginning to use that word Armageddon. But I want you to understand something tonight that there has never been a conflict like Armageddon. And there never will be uh, anything like it. So let me, right out of the gate tonight, I wanna just answer a few questions about this thing of the battle of Armageddon. Number one is this, where will the battle take place? Where's it gonna take place? Well, look back at your Bibles again. Revelation 16, verse number 16. The Bible says that he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon, Armageddon. And so it's a Hebrew word, and it's the Hebrew word, har, H-A-R, har, megiddon, har, megiddon. Har means hill or city. 
And so it is the hill or the city of Megiddo. Uh, and so you say, preacher, is, is uh, Megiddo, is that, a, is that an actual place? And it is an actual place. I've had the opportunity, the privilege to be there, to visit there. And some of our folks that are, uh, that are going with us to Israel, God willing, will have that opportunity to, uh, to visit the, the, the uh, location of Megiddo. It's about 60 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. And if you go through your Bible, you'll find out the Megiddo is actually mentioned a number of times in Scripture, and it's mentioned as a place of battle. Uh, King Josiah, who's one of my absolute favorite, one of my favorite Bible characters in the Bible, was killed in Megiddo. Uh, King Saul was slain in Megiddo. Uh, the judges, Deborah and, and Barak, fought at Megiddo, and Gideon fought the many nights uh, in this exact area, the area of Megiddo. But more recently, many of the armies uh, of the world and the nations have passed through uh, this place called Megiddo. In fact, there's a, uh, there's a place there you can go to in Megiddo that's called the Calling Cards of the Nations. And, uh, and you go to a rock, and in that rock is carved uh, the different inscriptions of great rulers and kings and emperors that have marched through Megiddo and uh, left their exploits there. Nebuchadnezzar came through Megiddo. The Assyrian forces came through Megiddo. The armies of Egypt made their way through Megiddo. Um, how about this? Alexander the Great uh, marched through the valley of Megiddo uh, and, uh, and, and soon after that took Asia. Napoleon uh, came through Megiddo. In fact, Napoleon declared it to be the greatest, one of the finest battlefields uh, in the world. But then I want to answer this question, when does the battle of uh, Armageddon take place? And the answer to that is this. It happens at the end of the tribulation period, at the end. And so by this time, the seven sealed judgments have been pronounced upon the earth. They've been opened. Uh, the seven trumpet judgments have been sounded. The seven vile judgments, or what some call the bowl judgments, have been poured out on the earth. And the tribulation is at the end, and the battle of Armageddon will take place. Look, if you will, at Revelation chapter 19, and look at verse number 11 tonight. Revelation 19 and verse 11. And the apostle John tells us this. Revelation 19, verse 11. John said, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, and the armies which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, we'll go back to that scripture in just a little bit, and I'll elaborate on that just a little bit more. But I want to answer this question, why does the battle take place? We learned about when it's going to take place, where it's going to take place, but why does the battle of Armageddon take place? And this is, again, this is pretty interesting you say, preacher, why is it going to happen? What, what's going to culminate this, this great battle where Jesus returns and he pours out his wrath uh, on, this, uh, on these, these uh, armies? And the answer to that question is this. The nations of the world, and our Bible says, that they'll be fueled by demonic forces. And I'll show you that here in just a moment. They'll be fueled by demonic forces and led by none other than the Antichrist, and they will rise against the little nation 
of Israel. And they'll get ready to try to destroy Israel. And our Bible says at that moment that Jesus will come. He'll come to the rescue of Israel. Look at it with me, if you will. Revelation 16. Uh, look, if you will, at, well, look at verse number 12 again. Revelation 16, verse 12. The Bible says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water there was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east, east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Look at verse 14. The Bible explains this vision. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So somebody says, preacher, what is it that's gonna cause these nations to rise up against the nation of Israel? And the Bible tells us it's going to be demonic forces, devilish forces are gonna encourage them and challenge them uh, to do that. But we also notice this story in the book of Zechariah. And I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn back to your Old Testament and if you find Malachi, which is the last book in your Old Testament, just go back a little bit further and you'll find the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. And Zechariah is a book that, that talks much about eschatology. It tells us much about the second coming. And, and it also tells us about this battle, the battle of Armageddon. Zechariah chapter 14 and look at verse number one. The Bible says, behold, the day of the Lord cometh and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Look what he says in verse two. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished and half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Look, look at verse three. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and on the Mount of Olives shall cleave, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel, yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Josiah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with him. And so the world is gonna rise up against little Israel. And the Bible says that Jesus is gonna come to their rescue. And Jesus is going to defend the nation of Israel. By the way, how many know this? We're moving in that direction right now, amen? Did you know one of the greatest things that America could ever do is continue to side with the nation of Israel? And you know what? People may not like that. That's not politically correct to say that anymore. But uh, you know what? Regardless of whether we like it or not, or America likes it or not, Israel is God's chosen people. And uh, nothing's going to ever change that. And, uh, and we, we, believe, we don't believe the church has, has replaced Israel. We believe that Israel is very much still in God's clock, God's uh, timetable, uh, and so the world's gonna rise up against this nation, this little nation Israel, and Jesus is going to come and he's gonna defend this nation in the battle of Armageddon. Now I wanna real quickly tonight, I wanna give you five words that are associated with the battle of Armageddon. And I just thought these words would be a little interesting to you. Number one is the word solitude, solitude. Now you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? 
You know what's really interesting about the, about the battle of Armageddon is that Jesus Christ will fight it all by himself. Amen. Solitude. He's going to handle this all by his lonesome. He's going to be all alone. I want to show that to you, if you will. Turn to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. You say, Pastor, you mean Isaiah the prophet said something about the battle of Armageddon? He sure did. Look at Isaiah chapter 63 in your Bibles. And look at verse number one. And this is pretty interesting. Isaiah 63 and verse number one. The Bible says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I, that I, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. I'm reading now in Isaiah 63, verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone. Notice that. I have trodden the winepress alone. And of the people, there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart. And the year of my redeemed has come. And I looked and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me. And my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. Now, real quickly, I want you to flip right back to Revelation 19. And I want to compare Isaiah 63 to Revelation chapter 19. It's interesting that, uh, that what Isaiah prophesied is, I mean, absolutely line upon line with what John talks about in Revelation chapter number 19. Uh, look what he says here, Revelation 19, verse 13. The Bible says, and he, Jesus, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies, look at this. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So the Bible talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. His vestures are covered in blood. But we're, we're, we're in fine linen. Man, we're white and clean. And somebody says, preacher, why is the Lord Jesus covered in blood and we're white and clean? And the answer to that is because Jesus is going to fight this battle all by himself. And now we're going to be with him. We're coming with him, the Bible says. But, but the, the truth of the matter is, he loves you, but he doesn't need you to fight the battle. And so Jesus is going to do this all by himself, solitude. Number two, notice this. Number two is the word multitude, multitude. The, the Armageddon army is gonna be an absolute massive army. Now, for this, I want you to turn in your Bibles, your Old Testament, to the book of Joel. The book of Joel. And look at uh, Joel chapter three and find your place to verse number 13. Multitude. Uh, Joel chapter three and verse number 13. Look what the prophet Joel tells us about the battle of Armageddon. In verse 13, put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Look what he says in verse 14. Multitudes, and then he says it again. Multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, 
and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord, oh, I like it, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So the Bible tells us that this army uh, uh, here at Armageddon is gonna be, it's gonna be a massive army. And so Joel, the Lord allows Joel to look down through the quarters of time and Joel sees the battle of Armageddon and he says about this army, multitudes, in fact, it's so many that he says it again, multitudes. I mean, there's gonna be so many that are fighting in this battle. Now somebody says, preacher, what is that about? Well, you know, I can't help but believe this, that at this battle, Satan still feels like he might have a shot. And so he feels like, you know what, if he can, if he can uh, gather a large enough army, if he can gather not just multitudes, but if he can gather multitudes after multitudes, he believes that, you know what, he can win and he can beat the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, church, can I say this real quickly? Did you know that, that Satan is building his kingdom right now? And so he's not waiting. He's not waiting until this time. He's not waiting until the second coming. He's not waiting until the battle is ready. Oh, no, no. Satan is building his kingdom right now. And you know what I'm telling you is the truth. I mean, uh, drugs are flowing like an epidemic in America. We've never seen a time like we're seeing right now where, uh, where there's human trafficking and prostitution and, and addiction and, and demonic possession and, and all these things are going on right now. And you say, preacher, what's behind all that? I'll tell you what's behind it. Satan is amassing his army. He's putting his army together. He's building his kingdom. He's building his kingdom. If you believe that, say amen. Yeah, he is. He's building his kingdom. You say, well, preacher, why is that important? Oh, listen. Oh, how much the more you and I ought to be building the kingdom. Listen, we ought to be inviting folks to church. We ought to be getting them under the sound of the gospel. We ought to be, listen, we ought to be giving gospel tracts out and preaching the gospel and going into as many nursing homes as we can and into the public schools and sharing the gospel. Why? Because while Satan is building his kingdom, listen, we ought to be busy in the building of the kingdom of our Savior. And so we see that solitude. We see multitude. But then there's another word I want you to notice. It's the word, and it's the word finitude. Now, that's not a word you use a lot, finitude. What in the world? Finitude. What in the world does that mean, preacher? Well, let me explain finitude for you. God is infinite. God is infinite. But you are not. And I'm not. Uh, we are not infinite. We are finite. We're finite. We are creatures that are subject to finitude. We, uh, you know what? We're not powerful like him. We're not almighty like him. We're not uh, omniscient like him or omnipotent like him. We are creatures of finitude. And one of the things as we study this battle out and we study Revelation 16 and Revelation 19, one of the things that we notice is the dynamic duo of the tribulation. I'm talking about the antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. You know, one of the things that we learn, they are finite like you. And like me. You know, sometimes we get the idea that, that Satan is on the same, he's on the same level with God. Folks, listen, nothing could be further from the truth. Satan's not on the same level with God. Satan's a created being. And you know who created him? God created him. 
And so, you know, the Antichrist will be a, uh, will be a figure of incredible power and dominance. Uh, listen, did you know there's a reason that the book of Revelation refers to him as the beast? As the beast? It refers to his ways. It refers to uh, his cruelty. It refers to his fierceness. And he will be fierce in the tribulation and that false prophet will come to his aid and he'll do miracles of all kinds to try to convince people to to worship the antichrist but here's my point in the end they're finite and in the end there'll be no match for the king of kings and the lord of lords look at it again revelation chapter 19 and look, if you will, Revelation 19, verse number 19. The Bible says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Look at verse 20, though. The Bible says, And the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image, these both, the beast and the false prophet, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Oh, listen, and when it all comes down to it, these are no match for the Lord. And the Lord's gonna have total, absolute victory, without a doubt. And so we see solitude, we see multitude, we see finitude. Look at this, and I think this is gonna, I think this is gonna be interesting to you. Number four, we see the word magnitude, magnitude. Now, I want you to understand the magnitude of the battle of Armageddon. You say, preacher, how bad is it going to be? I mean, I've heard about it. I've heard the word. I saw it on a movie that came out of Hollywood. Every once in a while, I'll hear a reporter say something about what well, was like Armageddon down here. When the, when the hurricane came through, it was like Armageddon. And really, they don't even know what they're saying. You say, what's going to be the magnitude of the battle of Armageddon? Well, Let me see if I can give you some perspective. In World War II, they tell us somewhere, somewhere around 16.5 million people perished. World War I. In World War II, nearly 40 million. Now, you can read it up, and there's different beliefs and different estimates on that. But uh, some say 38. Some say as high as 60. But uh, somewhere around 40 million people died during World World War II. And yet, the Bible tells us that there there has never been a battle like the Battle of Armageddon. And once it takes place, there'll never be a battle like it afterwards. And and again, this is interesting. One of the things that's going to make the Battle of Armageddon even worse is our Bible tells us that the Battle of Armageddon will be a day of overflowing rain. You say, wow, preacher, I didn't know that. Let me, can I show it to you? Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ezekiel? Ezekiel? I said, well, the Old Testament has quite a bit to say about this battle. Ezekiel chapter number 28 in your Bibles, and look, if you will, and I'm, I'm almost done, so y'all hang in there with us. We're gonna be short tonight. Ezekiel chapter, I'm sorry, 38. Ezekiel 38, I hope that's what I said. Ezekiel 38, and look at verse number 21. Now again, hang with me right here, because to me, this part right here is, is a clincher. Uh, Ezekiel 38, verse 21 The Bible says, and I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother, 
And I will plead against him with pestilence, that's disease, and with blood. Look at this next part. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him. Look at this. An overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am the Lord. You know what God said? What I'm gonna do, people are gonna know. There's no mistaking about it. It's from God. There's never been anything like it. World War I won't compare. World War II won't compare. There's no battle that's ever gonna compare to this battle. It's gonna be a great battle uh, and, uh, and it will be a day of overflowing rain with everything else that's going on, all the blood, all the death, all the carnage. It'll be a day of overflowing rain, but not only overflowing rain, but look at this church. The last vile judgment is poured out on the earth right about the time that the battle of Armageddon takes place. And you say, preacher, what happens when that bowl is poured out? The Bible tells us that great hailstones are gonna crash into the earth. Now, find your place in Revelation 16, if you will, and look at verse number 21. Revelation 16, verse 21, you say, preacher, Okay, great hailstones. How, how great? <laughs> Pretty great. Revelation 16, verse number 21. Look at this. The Bible says, And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now you say the weight of a talent, okay? What does that mean, preacher? Well, this is what they tell us, a talent of silver. Back in Bible days, a talent of silver weighed about 100 pounds. A talent of gold weighed anywhere upwards of 200 pounds. And the Bible tells us that every one of these massive hailstones that are going to be crashing uh, to the earth, coming out of the heavens, are going to weigh at least a talent apiece. Now, I'm just trying to, I, we, we have any bowlers here tonight? Any bowlers? Anybody bowl? Yeah, what's a, what's a bowling ball weigh? Anybody know right off the top of your head? 16, 15, 16 pounds? Okay, 15, 16 pounds. Now, wait a minute, think about it. Can you imagine a hailstorm and all of a sudden bowling balls, bowling balls, 15-pound bowling balls start falling out of the heaven? Church, how many know this? It'd be absolute carnage. Houses would be destroyed. Cars would be destroyed. Everybody in those cars would be destroyed. Uh, skyscrapers would be destroyed just with 15-pound bowling balls falling out of the heavens, but that's not what the Bible says is gonna happen. There's gonna be hailstones that are falling, and these hailstones, hailstones are gonna weigh at least a talent. You know, and I, again, I'm just, I'm, in my mind, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, to, to put this, you know, in my mind. And so I'm, I'm remembering back when I was living at home, and when I was living at home, we always had cows and horses and all kind of stuff, and, and Dad would constantly be going by the feed mill and he'd buy these 50-pound bags of seed, uh, not seed, but, but feed, sweet feed. 
And I remember sometimes dad would come home in his Ford Ranger pickup truck and he'd drop the tailgate down and he'd say, all right, boys, let's carry these, let's carry these feed sacks up to the barn. And as a teenager, I'd take that 50-pound sack of feed and, man, we'd pick that thing up, you'd throw it over your shoulder and you'd, you know, I mean, for a teenage boy, it's pretty good. And you'd lug that 50-pound that bag of seed, you know, feed, you'd lug it up to the barn. That's 50 pounds, can you imagine? And some of you folks have livestock and you know what I'm talking about. Can you imagine a 50-pound bag of feed falling out of the heavens? Church, I'm telling you something. There's not gonna be much left. I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be absolute amazing. But wait a minute now. Let's bring these two together. The Bible says during the battle of Armageddon, it's gonna be a day of blood. It's gonna be a day of battle. It's going to be a day of killing, but it's going to be a day of overflowing rain. God's going to send overflowing rain, but on top of that, he's going to send these massive hailstones, and they're going to be crashing to the earth, and these massive hailstones are going to be melting, and this rain mixed with these massive hailstones that are, that are melting is going to, call, is going to cause un, an, an incredible flooding. Now, Look with me, if you will, in your Bibles. And, uh, and by the way, man, I got so much I want to give you here tonight, but, but, but I thought about this. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm convinced of this. You're just not going to get me to believe anything else other than this. That the number one resource that people are going to fight over in the tribulation period is water. I believe that. It will not be gold, it will not be silver, and it will not be cash. I'm not even sure in the tribulation period if you'll be able to use cash. But they will fight over water. And I'll tell you something else. They'll kill over water. If you've got fresh water, you'll be killed for it. And they'll, they'll be fighting over fresh water. And there'll be very, very little water that's drinkable during the tribulation period for seven years. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the seven years, that which the world had none of, God says, I'm going to pour it out on you. At the very end, and God causes it to begin, begin, begin to become an overflowing rain, and then these hailstones begin to hit, and all this begins to melt, and all of it begins to, begins to melt together, and the Bible tells us this, that as that water and that blood mixes, that it's going to be up to the bridle of the horse, and that's going to flow for 184 miles. Look in your Bibles. We're almost done. Look in your Bibles. Revelation 14, verse number 40. Uh, I'm sorry. Revelation 14, verse 14. Revelation 14, verse 14. Interesting. Revelation 14, verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud, one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which has, uh, had, had power over fire, and cried a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth 
and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God, verse 20, and the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even under the horse's bridles by the space of a 1,600 furlongs. Now, that's, that's, that's interesting. Again, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20, and I'm done. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress. Somebody says, preacher, and by the way, you find that, you find that statement several times throughout Scripture. Somebody says, pastor, why, why does Scripture liken the battle of Armageddon to a winepress? And so this week, I began to study that out. How, how did they actually use the winepress back in Bible days? And so what they would do is this. They would have a vat, uh, and they would bring uh, baskets and baskets of clusters of the vine, and grapes, and they would dump these grapes into this vat. And then they tell us that men would, men would step into this. They'd wash their feet. They'd step into the vat, and they would hold on to a rope over their head that would keep them stable, keep them from falling, and they would begin to press those grapes and they would walk around that vat and those men would stomp those grapes. They would trample, they would trample those grapes. And, the, and they tell us, historians tell us that the juice, the blood of the grape would run out of those grapes and they had, uh, in the bottom of that vat, there was a little, uh, a little gully, if you will, and it had a spout and that the blood of the grape would run down that spout and finally go into a container. You know what Jesus said about the battle of Armageddon? One of these days, I'm coming. And he said, I'm not coming as a savior. I'm coming as a judge. I'm not coming to bring peace. I'm coming as king of kings and lord of lords. And I'm gonna rule and reign with a rod of iron. And Jesus said, I'm gonna trample the wine press and the blood's gonna flow for 184 miles up to the horse's bridle. And so we notice solitude, we notice multitude, we notice finitude and magnitude, and then we're done tonight. We notice servitude. Servitude. That word servitude means forced labor imposed as a punishment for crime. Servitude. And the reason I use that is because I'm glad to be able to tell you this, that Armageddon will be the last event before a very special event. The devil will finally be arrested and he will be put in his place. Look, if you will, we're done. Revelation chapter 20 and look at verse number one. Revelation 20 and verse number one. The Bible says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. I like verse two. And he laid hold on the dragon. And just in case you're wondering who that is, he goes on to tell us who it is. That old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years. Satan gets a thousand year sentence and we're gonna have the millennial reign of Christ and the curse will be lifted and we'll rule and reign with Jesus and at, that, at the end of that 1,000 years, Satan will be loose for just a little season and finally, 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 God will put him down. Now, church, I'm gonna tell you something. I believe we're, I believe we're getting close. I believe the coming of the Lord is sooner than later. By the way, just in case you're wondering, the world does too. Hey, listen to this, uh, listen to this article. Actually, this is not an article. This is an, adver- this is an advertisement for a company. 
And it it goes like this. Are you ready for the end of the world? If not, a company named Vivus can help you and your loved ones get prepared. The Vivus website says, whether you want to believe it or not, we're on the cusp of an increase in number and magnitude, using the same words I used, of events that may in the twinkling of an eye. How about that? Let's just borrow some biblical terms, amen? In the twinkling of an eye, change the world as we know it. They list a range of possible cataclysmic disasters, including Armageddon, plagues, a solar kill shot, super volcanic eruption, major earth changes, killer asteroids and comets, mega tsunamis, and economic meltdown, not to mention man-made threats, including nuclear explosions, a reactor meltdown, biological or chemical disasters, terrorism, and widespread anarchy. <laughs> Listen to that. I should have had Brandon do this one. But for a mere $35,000 per person, you can co-own an underground Vivus shelter in one of their airtight, fully self-contained, impervious complexes designed to survive any catastrophe. Their website advertises our complexes comfortably, oh man, comfortably accommodate community groups from 50 to 1,000 people in spacious living quarters, yeah, I bet, outfitted and stocked for a minimum of one year of autonomous survival to ride out the potential events. Every detail has been considered and planned for. I doubt it. Members need not, members need to only arrive before their facility is locked down and secured from the chaos above. Their website warns that millions, I'm not making this stuff up, church. Their website warns that, quote, millions will perish or worse yet, struggle to survive. But they also boldly promise Vivas is your solution to ride out these catastrophes so you may survive to be a part of the next Genesis. Well, I got news for Vivas. I'm going to be a part of the next Genesis. There's no doubt about that. And his name is called Jesus. And he's going to set up his millennial reign on this earth. And the curse is going to be lifted, and the lamb will lay down with the lion, and we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? Are you ready? You say, preacher, some of these things, some of these things you're teaching, they're concerning. Some of these things you're teaching, I mean, they're pretty deep. And you're right about that. They are. But I want to tell you something. If you're here tonight, and you're a born-again child of God, you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. In fact, I want to, let, let me give you some scripture and we're done. You don't have to turn there. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. In other words, you know what? God's got us in the palm of his hand. And he's going to take care of you. Boy, thank the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. Well, I can't think of anything I'd rather do than stay in a Vivas complex (laughs) with a hundred unsaved people for seven years. No thanks, friend. I'm living out on the rapture. Amen. And I hope you are as well. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. And God, we, we appreciate 
the Word of God. We appreciate your teaching. And God, thank you for giving us instruction concerning what the end days are going to look like. I don't believe this is drummed up. I don't believe it's dramatized. I don't even believe this is symbolic. I believe these things are literal. I believe it's going to happen. I believe, Lord, if the Bible says the blood's going to be up to the, the, the horse's bridle, I believe it's going to happen. If he says that the, the battle of Armageddon is going to be a day of, of overflowing rain, I believe it's going to happen. But I am so glad. Oh, my. Thank God that I know, that I know, that I know that I am saved. Thank God I know tonight my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And if Jesus were to come tonight, God, I'm glad. I don't have to worry, and I don't have to fret, and I don't have to purchase one of these shelters because I'm going to be sheltered in the hands of God. Father, thank you for that. Lord, it could be there could be somebody here tonight that doesn't know that they know they're on their way to heaven. God, there could be somebody watching by way of live stream that doesn't know that they're on their way to heaven. Lord, help this to be the night. September the 3rd, 2023, I pray will be the night that they open their heart and life to Jesus and let Jesus come in. Our, our, our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed tonight. And I want to ask a question. How many are here this evening? And as a wonderful, wonderful, glorious testimony to a message like this, you can slip up your hand tonight and say, Preacher, there's not even a shadow of any doubt. I know, thank God that I know my name is written there. I know that I'm saved. If that's you, you just gloriously raise your hand. And say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. You can lower your hands. Man, what a joy to be able to do that. But I want to ask you this. Is there anybody in this service here tonight who would say, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure. And I know one thing, I definitely don't want to be here for the battle of Armageddon. Preacher, I don't want to be here when that rain begins to fall and those hailstones begin to fall out of, the, out of the heavens, when the Antichrist begins to set up his kingdom. Oh my, Pastor, I don't want to be here for that. Is there anybody here tonight? We, we had, listen, we had folks in the service that were visiting and I didn't even know they were here until after the service. They came through and shook my hand. I didn't even, I didn't even see them until after the service. There could be somebody here tonight I haven't even seen you, but you're visiting. And maybe you don't know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven. Hey, listen, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Would you do that right now? You just slip your hand up. Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Pray for me, please. Anybody at all? If you're watching by way of live stream tonight, we are so honored to have you as a part of this service. If you're watching this live stream and you say, Brother Pope, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think I'm going to heaven, but I'm not sure. Hey, friend, right now, without a moment's hesitation, I want you to reach for your phone, and I want you to call that number that's on the bottom of your screen right now, 704-327-5662. And we have some people that would love to share Jesus with you right now in the gospel. So I hope you'll call. I hope you'll call. Hey, church, let's all stand tonight. Father, thank you for teaching us. What a, what a joy, God, it is to gather around the precious Word of God and just learn 
And God, these things, although they are deep and they are heavy, they can be an encouragement to the child of God because we know we have nothing to worry about. God, we know that we can comfort ourselves knowing that Jesus is coming for us. Father, save those that are lost. Save those that are watching while we have live stream that are lost. And then, Lord, those that are in this crowd here tonight that have loved ones that are lost and undone without the Lord. Oh, Father, give us a burden like never before. Help us to be soul winners. God, help us to carry some tracks with us. Help us to be building the kingdom, to be inviting folks to church. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Bless in this invitation. Speak to hearts, I pray, Lord, please, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. We'll just keep our heads bowed for just a moment, and we'll sing. But while we bow, is there anybody tonight that needs to make a move? Anybody that needs to step out and come? And Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you come? If you'll come, we'll meet you here with the Bible and show you how to get saved tonight. Or if you're here tonight and you say, Preacher, I am saved, but boy, I've got some loved ones, and they just mean the world to me. And I sure don't want them to go to hell. If you need to come tonight, just, just mention their name to the Lord. We're going to pause just for a few moments and let you come and do that. And if there are other decisions that need to be made, I'm going to be here in the front just for a moment, all right? And while we wait, while we wait, if you need to come, you come tonight. We'll be here to meet you and greet you.
Hey, church, you can look up this way. We hadn't sang this little chorus in a little while. Such a good one. Let's sing it together tonight as a church. Ready? I can trust Jesus. Thank God for that. I can trust Jesus. He never once has failed to me my need. Well, I like this next line. Sing it, church. He is my strong tower. I can trust Jesus. He takes care of me. Amen. 